Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Emily, for reading God's word for us today. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lord's Love Church. It is a delight, as always, every week coming to church together with you and worshiping God together. Uh, for those of you who are new with us today, whether it's your first or second time, I just want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Howard, and I'm the youth pastor here. And today it is my joy uh, to be sharing God's word uh, with you. And uh, 
Just a reminder, um, especially for those who are uh, new with us today, um, we are on a series called Meals with Jesus. We've been doing it for, I think, since last month, and we're continuing on this series. And today, and the series is Meals with Jesus, where Jesus interacts with many different people uh, through meal. Uh, and as you know, Jesus, uh, in his ministry, went around healing people, teaching, and uh, driving out demons, and, and doing many more other things as well. And so uh, the passages that we've been focusing on usually involves meals. So if you don't know, Jesus loves food a lot, and I think that's probably why we also love food as well. Um, so before I start, I just want to pray um, yeah, and ask God to um, give us his word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Uh, where we get to gather and worship you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your love and your faithfulness, God, and for your grace and, and for who you are, God. Um, and we're so thankful that we get to uh, read your word um, today, Lord, and, and just be able to know you more, Lord. And so I pray that this time, Lord, that your spirit will be here uh, to speak to us, to give us, uh, and I pray that your spirit will reveal more who you are, reveal your truth, Lord, and that your word would transform our lives. So we commit this time to you, and we lift this to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so the question I want to ask you guys this morning is, uh, when's the time when you had high expectation, um, and it wasn't met, and you were disappointed? Or vice versa, where you had low expectation about something, but the outcome came out much better than you had imagined? So for example, maybe it was like at a, a high, expensive, fancy restaurant where you know you were expecting good food and the food wasn't as delicious, or that the steak was too well cooked when you asked for a rare, and then you told the waitress about it and they said that they just kind of ignored it. Or maybe in the same scenario, you actually maybe went into the restaurant and you had low expectation, you didn't put high expectation, and the food was bad, but then in the end, the waitress, as you said, actually... We're going to give you a new one, a new steak, or whatever the meal, and it's going to be on the house, so it's free. Um, I don't know what situation you guys had uh, that you guys have ever experienced, but uh, for me, um, in two, since 2009, if you guys don't know, since 2009, uh, my parents moved to Hong Kong to live there, and so for nearly 10 years, I've been traveling to Hong Kong every year to visit them. And so one time when my mom came back to visit um, for, for a few weeks, we went back to Hong Kong together. And uh, our family has been blessed by a friend who is a flight attendant. And, uh, and so the routine would be that I would order the t- book the ticket a few uh, months before so that I know his schedule and I can be on the same flight and hopefully I can get into business class. And I've been, by God's grace and his blessing, uh, I've been able to uh, go to a few uh, business class and it was great. And so this time I was flying and the routine would be that if I'm at the airport, I will wait at the gate and I will wait for the last call until nobody's left, and now go in. But this time, the instruction that my friend gave me was that, wait for my text. So a last call and a text. So I'm like, okay. But I didn't follow completely. Um, and here's why. Because it was the, like dead last call. The workers were looking at me like, why are you still not coming in to check in? And so in my mind, I'm like, so in my mind, I'm like, oh, like it's either business class or nothing. Or we go back to our economy class. And which I was fine because I'm like, I'm grateful. Like business class is great. If I can get it, I'll get it. I'm, I'm grateful. And I will still be grateful even if I don't get it. 
So I told my mom, I'm like, hey, I haven't been receiving the text from him. And uh, I think we should just go in. And so we, we went in. Uh, so we gave a ticket, went to our seats. And then as soon as I took my phone out, I got a missed text and a missed call. My friend's like, where were you at? <laughs> I was like, I already sat down. He's like, oh, you shouldn't have sat down right away. I got you two spots for first class. I was like, whoa. So I don't know if you guys share the same joy as me, but um, I love sitting in business class. I've been able to fly for a few years uh, every year. um, And so I got used to it. I love um, the food and everything, just the comfort of it. But then I never imagined myself being able to ever go to first class. So I missed that opportunity uh, to go to first class. And so, you know, later on, like near the end of the flight, uh, my friend uh, actually brought us to the uh, first class. So we were able to experience it. But the point of the story isn't that I missed the, uh, missed the first class. The point of the story was the fact that I, it, I was fine with not getting it, but in my mind, I was surprised because I had low expectation. And because I had low expectation, it didn't hurt me as much. Just imagine if I had the expectation that I would be in the first class. Like, come on, who am I to really expect that? I don't even have the money for it, right? But for me to expect that, right? But I didn't have any expectation. And so... When the result came back better than I imagined, I was surprised. Likewise, Jesus teaches us not to have high expectation or think so highly about ourselves. And let me tell you, it is good to have confidence, but not overly confident where, arrogant, where you become arrogant and prideful. And this is where Jesus teaches us about humility, to have the heart and the mindset of humility. And right here, Jesus in this passage in the, in, in, at the Pharisees and him sharing a parable, he's talking about what humility looks like in God's kingdom, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today. But humility is a big part of life because that is who God is and what God values. So how is humility effective? I forgot my clicker. <laughs> Let me get my clicker. So the big idea... Humility helps us see the world differently, all right? Humility helps us see the world differently. Understanding humility through God's lens, through, the, through how God sees it, helps us to live differently in the way that we see and treat people, especially those who are seen as the outcasts of society, meaning the homeless people, people who are crippled, uh, the, the lame, the, the blind. Understanding how God sees humility will help us treat people differently. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage that we're going to be reading today is to, first of all, have an attitude of humility and then and, and how we also treat people. So let's read. Uh, so if you guys can join me, in, uh, uh, we're going to look at a text together. Luke chapter 14, verse 1 to 6. On Sabbath, when Jesus went in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So first of all, it seems like a crazy party, um, maybe one that you never imagined, but Jesus was at a house of a Pharisee and having a meal uh, together. And it says in verse 1, the Pharisees 
uh, were carefully watching him. Uh, not a big surprise because as you guys may know or remember that Pharisees have, have, throughout the gospel have been trying to ask Jesus questions to try to trap him of wrongdoing so that they can have an excuse to arrest him. Uh, and so there in front of him, I don't know if they brought the man there to test Jesus to see if he will heal, but there was a man uh, uh, suffering from abnormal swelling. And so this right here, the abnormal swelling um, is uh, called a uh, dropsy or, or edema. Uh, and dropsy is an old term for swelling of soft tissues due to accumulation of excess water. And also, and, or it can also be known as fluid or water uh, retention. So there's this guy who needs healing. And so in response to the man's suffering, Jesus asked if it was lawful to heal on Sabbath day. It's kind of funny if you think about it. Like the Pharisees think that they're the ones that are watching Jesus, but now Jesus is flipping things around. Now he's watching them to see how they would answer. And so Jesus asked them, Ask the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on Sabbath or not? But they remain silent. Then he asked about the child, and they remain silent. And so that man right there, Jesus, since they said nothing, Jesus already healed the man. And, and, and why does Jesus talk about, start healing and talk about healing at that point? Ask them the question. You see, the Pharisees never asked them, but Jesus was the one that brought up the topic about healing. So why did Jesus ask if it was lawful to heal? I think it connects to the previous chapter in chapter 13, which was also on Sabbath day when Jesus healed a woman who was suffering, who was crippled for 18 years. And on that day, Jesus healed her, and then the synagogue leaders were challenging Jesus. They asked, you should not be doing this on Sabbath day. Six days you're supposed to work, and on Sabbath day you're supposed to heal. And so Jesus is like, what, like, what he's trying to say, I'm going to paraphrase this, you're the one that, you guys are hypocrites. Even on Sabbath day, you would take your ox or your donkey out to get water to drink. And you're working as well. So why are you saying that I cannot do something on Sabbath day? And I think because of that, that even now the Pharisees, they knew that they couldn't say anything against Jesus. And so Jesus heals them. So after this, verse 7, when they notice how the guests pick the place of honor. Okay, so now it goes... So Jesus right there is teaching one to start with humility because I think one of the things why Jesus talked about healing in connection to humility is this, because the Pharisees knew the law, left, right, and center. Like they knew it inside out really well. Um, and so I think by Jesus teaching them about humility or challenging their ethics and decision is that their reputation is put on the line. Remember, they were high-ranking people that the society looked up to. And so at that point, if they said that they're going to heal, that means that they are actually doing something on Sabbath day, which means that they're actually breaking the law. But obviously, if they say, no, you can't heal, it shows that they are inhumane. So there's that dilemma for them. And so they had nothing to say. And so that's where Jesus talks about humility. And when he, verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Um, and then he before we go on, there are three things I want us to see where Jesus is coming in. Jesus is teaching humility in three different ways. First one is humility in the way you carry yourself in front of others, how you present yourself. Humility in the way that you treat others. That's number two. Mainly the people who are seen as the outcasts of society, the homeless, the poor, I mean the homeless, the crippled, the blind. And third, humility in the way 
you accept Jesus' invitation and his kingdom. So the, fa- the first big main point I want to say is this. When we think of ourselves less, we are seen more by God. I'll repeat it again. When we think of ourselves less, we are seen more by God. C.S. Lewis' definition of humility, you may have heard this before, but humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So there's a huge difference. Humility is not putting yourself down or saying uh, things bad about yourself to, to say less, things, less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Just don't talk about yourself as much or think of yourself as much. So when we are humble, when we are thinking about God first and the people around us before we think about ourselves, God recognizes our hearts and motives. So let's, let's go with the first thing I said about humility and how we carry ourselves. And Jesus right here noticed the guests picked the place of honor as we've seen. So now we're going to go to verse 8 where he talks about the parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have invited, uh, um, sorry, do not take a place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. So right here, what Jesus is trying to say is that you're not the only one that's important in this world. There are also other people that may be in higher rank than you. So what, in other words, is don't take the place of honor as if you deserve it. And, and so because of that, if you do think so highly about yourself, the scenario is this. If the host comes in and says, and says to you, go to the lower seat, you will be humiliated, right? If someone tells you, go down rather than come up. And so Jesus teaches them how they should act. Verse 10, but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So a, a uh, an author of the commentary said this, it's better for people to say to you, come up, come up, and not say, go down, go down. Another one said in a similar way, it's better to have your honor, it's better to have your honor bestowed on you by another than to make a bid for honor that might not be granted. So if you try to pursue that honor and you don't get it, that's just way more embarrassing for you than if you never expect it and someone gives you that honor. And that is why Jesus pushes them to think of other people first before thinking about yourself. And so the second part about humility is humility is recognizing how you treat others. So there's that attitude that Jesus was talking about how you carry yourself. Now Jesus is teaching you about, teaching us about humility and how we treat others, especially to those in whom the world sees as the outcast of society, who nobody cares about. To give a context, which also applies today, but the cultural and social issue back then that Jesus was trying to break is that social peers were expected to return or repay favors of hospitality. And failure to reciprocate an invited meal to give back will be regarded as a sign of shaming the original host or guest. 
Now, as an example, if I invited Reverend Doug to come into my house for dinner, right, and things are great, that's awesome. But in return, if Reverend Doug never invites me back, then that action in itself would be shaming me. You get that? But thank God, Reverend Doug is not like that. <laughs> but you get the point, right? So, so it shames the host when you don't repay host back. You see, people in that culture were focused on the wealthy because of the honor and respect that they can receive back. It's all about what they can get back in return. That's why people do good. And this is the reason why nobody thinks about the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, because no, none of these people are able to repay them back. And so this is what Jesus says and teaches them. Then Jesus said to the host, now he's talking about it, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Though they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, meaning when we see Jesus face to face again. So again, this issue actually still exists today. And many, um, and many people, even including us, struggle to give and, and to help the poor, to love justice, to love mercy. And, and if you think about it deeply, one thing about the world's perspective is to always do good. I don't know if you've heard people say, but it's, it's just all about being good. It's all about loving. And, and that's a good mentality. But the question is, are they able to do good to those who can't repay them back? You see what I mean? The only reason why people do good is if they, can get some, if they can get something in return. So ultimately, because of our sins, we just are natural, selfish people, right? Just think about, like, just on the t- t- part of selfish. I don't know if you guys heard the news recently, right? After the flooding and stuff, and now the gas price is going up. They're limited 30 uh, liters. People are taking the jerry can or whatever the thing is to fill the gas for themselves and hoarding it. <laughs> now, instead of toilet paper, now it's gas, right? It's just the fact that when we're in desperate measure, people hoarding for themselves. So naturally, right, because of our sins, that, that we are always thinking about ourselves. And so what Jesus is challenging us again, start thinking about other people. So, teach it, so Jesus right here teaches in humility in a practical way in their context, in the meal setting, uh, to highlight what God's kingdom is all about. Now he transitions to teaching about humility and accepting his invitation. So the second point I want to make is that it takes humility. It takes a humble heart to accept God's invitation. It takes for us to lower our pride, to acknowledge that we are sinful, that we are broken, that we are weak, and to acknowledge that there is a Savior out there, Jesus, who can help us in our lives, who has forgiven us, who gives us the strength when we are feeling weak. It takes humility to accept God's invitation. Ultimately, when we're looking at a bigger picture, we should also reflect on the question of who's the one that is inviting us? Who is the one that's inviting us? Because this person matters and your decision to accept or decline shows who this person is to you. So, I want to tell you a story, and this is actually not a good story on my part. It's a bit embarrassing on my part. This is a time when God really made me realize my bad intention. So during my college time at Briarcrest in Saskatchewan, 
uh, there was an, there, there's always an annual, uh, uh, there's an annual youth rally called the Youthquake. And this is like a big, giant event where they would invite uh, many different like, famous Christian bands that would come and lead worship, uh, other speakers to come in. They'll have like a big game party throughout the whole weekend. And, and youth groups across Canada will come um, to Saskatchewan to our school for that. Now, a few days prior, there was a guy named Peter, and he was a beatboxer. And I didn't know that, and, but he was a, a beatboxer who competes against other countries and stuff, and he was representing Canada. And um, so I didn't know about that, but I was able to meet him, and this was how I met him. Uh, my friend, who was part of the dance team, who met him, uh, actually the dance team for a school goes around Canada to, to do their ministry in dancing, and so they met Peter, so they invited Peter to come and do a performance uh, for the youthquake. And so what had happened was that my friend was part of that dance team, and he invited me to dinner one day uh, with him and, and other people. And I was feeling tired that day, and I didn't feel like being sociable or to just socialize. And <laughs> I was just, like, really quiet. But I also needed to eat, so I'm like, okay, I'll just go with you. Um, and so at the dinner, I, I met him during the meal. My friend nudges me, and he's like, says, hey, man, uh, this guy can beatbox. With a low and non-exciting voice, I'm like, all right, that's cool, <laughs> right? And, and, uh, and I want to tell you, I've heard of people say that they can beatbox, but, but it's really those basic ones, like, like really basic, um, that, that anyone can do. So it wasn't anything that was like wowing me, like, oh yeah, like this is so amazing. So I thought this person might just have a passion for it, but he's not good. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> so that night, Peter actually performed in our school, which I didn't know, and he did the beatbox, and it was, like, amazing. Like, I was like, wow. Wow to the point that afterwards, I went to YouTube, and I searched him out, and I started watching a bunch of different videos. So if you guys want to, if you guys want to enjoy, uh, you know, beatboxing, you can go search up Peter, uh, Peter Pot, P-O-T, and uh, look at his video. But he was, he was amazing at beatboxing, and I was like, wow. And guess what happened after? I'm like, my response after was, man, I should have talked to him during that dinner time to get to know his story. And as soon as I said that, God convicted me. <laughs> and he said, are you wanting to talk to him because he's good at something? Why couldn't you just initiate the conversation before that and get to know him? And I was like, wow, that's so true. That is such bad intention. But the point of the story that I'm telling you is not because I'm a because of a bad friend, though I was a bad friend in this point, but that can be for a sermon for a different day. But the point that I'm telling you is this, when you know that person, it changes your approach or how you talk to the person. When you know who they are, it will change. Similarly, when we are familiar with the person, uh, similarly, when we know who's the one that is inviting us, meaning God, it, it is also very important. So we need to be able to recognize who is this person, you see, right now we're going to talk about the banquet. And if you guys know, a banquet or a party is special. You don't just usually invite random people, right? Just as an example, in the wedding, right? In your, for those of you who are married in your wedding, you were intentional and careful in who you invited. You wouldn't just invite some random person that you didn't know. And also, if you're preparing a party, you also need to know who's coming out for preparation purposes. And so, uh, right here, let's read. Um, when one of the, those at the table 
with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So this person of all other people understood that this banquet was special. And that's why he was able to recognize that it's blessed is the one, happy are the, is the person who eats in the, at the feast in the kingdom of God with God together. And so Jesus replies and teaches about the importance of accepting his invitation. Right here, starting, he says, Jesus replied, a certain man preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just, thought fi- I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married so I can't come. All right, so all these people start making excuses. Oh, I have this. I bought this. I need to attend to it. The point I want to make is this. Your decision, our decision to say yes or no to God shows our priority. Our decision to say yes or no to God shows our priority, what we make time for. You see, at this time, a person bought a field. So to him, when he attended that, he's saying that it's more important for him to show up to that field than to attend the banquet. That was his priority. Same scenario as the one who bought the five oxen and the person who got married. When they said that I'm going to do these things over joining the banquet, it shows that their priority is on that and not God. So since those who are carefully picked chose not to attend, the host went to find other people, mainly those who were seen as the outcasts of society. And so let's read verse 21 to the end. The servant came back and reported this to his servant. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring to the poor and crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you order has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. Question, why did the host did not give up inviting? Why did he not give up inviting? Why did the host, why did he, the host, want the banquet to still be in full capacity even though people were not, were rejecting his invitation? Question is, was it a pride thing or was it to avoid being shamed? The answer is no, because the host here is God and he's referring to his kingdom. So why does God keep inviting? Why does God keep inviting? Because he knows that those who accept his invitation will be blessed. He knows that those who accept his invitation will be taken care of, will be protected, will be looked after. That's why God is always pursuing us no matter how much we sin against him. No matter how broken or how insecure we are, that he is always here to invite us to be with him. And only those who are humble, who don't think so highly of themselves as if they can handle anything in their life, only these people will understand God's goodness and accept his invitation. 
You get that. That's why, that's why the host in this scenario keeps inviting. You say, no, that's fine. I'm going to go to the next person. I'm going to invite the next person to the banquet who will appreciate and understand the goodness of it. And that's why God constantly pursues us individually. So in today's context, what about us? Do we also behave like those other people who make excuses? Don't we all always say, make excuses to God, whether it's, excuse, whether it's to receive his help or to receive him in general? Don't we say to God, God, I'm too busy studying or working. I can't spend time with you right now. God, I'm too busy finding, uh, starting my career or finding a new job. I can't spend time right now. God, I'm too busy with catching up with friends. I can't spend time with you right now. And lastly, God, I'm too busy with my relationship. I can't spend time with you right now. The truth is this. We may not say these things exactly, but do our actions reveal that? We may not say it, but the more that we do it, does that speak, say it in itself? Here's the thing. The issue for us, I think, as I reflect on this, isn't that we're too busy but with what we prioritize our time with. You see, busyness occurs because our schedule is packed. That's why we say that we're busy, because our schedule is packed. It's what happens when we fill it in. It's just natural. So it's not about being busy in that we can't do other things, but it's, that we don't, we, but it's what we make our time for. I'll say that again. It's not about us being busy in that we can't do other things, but it's what we make our time for. Because we could tell our friends that we can't hang out tonight because I need some time alone with God. In this situation, if we were to say that in this situation, then we're busy because we're spending time with God. And we can say no to other people. So again, the issue isn't that we're busy. It's just making time with the right things. And, what's, and what we define is the right thing is what we prioritize. So yes, we're all busy people. We all make our schedule. We all fill it in. But it's, the question is, what is your priority? And so God right here is teaching us the, the, the attitude and the heart of humility to accept him, to accept his invitation to come into his kingdom. We're almost done. But finally, some final things I want to say is that God's not going, God's not going to wait on our agenda. And it takes humility to accept his invitation. And what I mean is this. Some of us in here believe that God exists and that Jesus is real, which is amazing. We believe that we're sinful and that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. But we're still not willing to fully commit our lives because the mentality is that if we do commit our time to God, then we can't do what we want. So in our response, we say, God, lead me to the right path, but... Or God, I want to know you and follow you, but, and we make excuses. But again, God's not on, but God is on his own agenda and not in our agenda. So in this passage, he's out there inviting people. If you say no, he's going to go to the next person. And there might be that one day that we might miss that opportunity to accept his invitation. Because as we know, there's, there's that one day where we may leave, that we will leave earth. 
So if you believe in him now, accept that invitation. Accept his help. Accept Jesus. You see, humility might not be popular in this world because people oftentimes want to build a good status for themselves and climb to the top of the mountain for themselves. But it is popular in God's kingdom. It is highly valued in God's kingdom. Humility will help us carry ourselves in ways that will influence others to do the same. You see, the way that you live, how you show, how you show humility in front of others, that in itself, your action can influence other people. It can also influence those who are non-believers. And thirdly, humility will help, third, humility will help us treat people differently, especially those who are homeless, those that the society don't care about. And lastly, humility in our relationship with God. The confession that we are broken and sinful people who wrestle with our insecurities. But to also believe, to have the humble heart to know that we have a strong, loving, gracious, and powerful God who is our Savior, that Jesus came and died for your sins and my sins. But it takes humility for us to know that. Lastly, to close off, I want to share a poem. Uh, if you can go to the last slide. Yeah. Uh, that, a poem that I, I, I read uh, many years ago. And it's a poem that has spoken to my life. And it's written by Carol Wimmer uh, in 1998. The title is, When I Say I Am a Christian. You may have seen this before, but I'll read it. When I say I am a Christian, I am not shouting, I've been saved. I'm whispering, I get lost sometimes. That's why I chose this way. When I say I am a Christian, I don't speak with human pride. I'm confessing that I stumble, needing God to be my guide. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I am weak and pray for strength to carry on. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I failed and cannot pay the debt. When I say I am a Christian, I don't think I know it all. I submit to my confusion, asking humbly to be taught. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I am a Christian, I still feel the stain of pain. I have my share of heartache, which is why I seek God's name. When I say I am a Christian, I do not wish to judge. I have no authority. I only know that I'm loved. It takes humility to accept God's invitation. And God's, but the thing is that God is always persistent in inviting us because he knows how much we will be blessed. Humility through God's lens will definitely help us see the world differently and, and help us live in ways that will make a difference in this world. So the question I want to end off is, will you accept his invitation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your love and your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your, your goodness, for Jesus, for dying on the cross to save our sins when we cannot save ourselves. And we thank you, God, that you are constantly pursuing us, that you're always there to invite us to be part of your kingdom. 
And we thank you, God, for your word, for your Bible, that we can still get to read and connect with you today. So, God, I pray that your word would transform our lives, that we would, that your power would strip away our pride and our arrogance, and that you would transform our hearts to be more humble, to become more Christ-like, so that we can be partner with you in this world, to be more missional in this world, and that we can treat people rightly, especially those who are homeless, that you give us that compassion, that heart to do it. And lastly, that our humility would bring us to the to our knees where we are accepting your invitation. So God, may we not throw your invitation away, but even in our sins and our brokenness that we will come to you and receive it with a humble heart. So thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.